Does that sound a bit weird to you? Would you, how would you like to, would you be comfortable to say, Lord, uh, if God said to you, there's 120,000 people that are going to be destroyed, and you said, God, go ahead and do it. You'd feel a bit awkward about that. But, but, but remember at that time that the Assyrians were the, the, the enemies of Israel. This was the nation that came and, and brought great devastation amongst the Israelites. And so, so Jonah's heart isn't very uh, akin to the Assyrians. In chapter 3 and verse 10, running into chapter 4, we read that God saw what the Ninevites did and how they turned from the evil ways. And he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Here's a guy that's not happy with what God is doing. And you see, this is what God's been dealing with all along, is what's going on in Jonah's heart. Jonah's heart was hard. He was now obeying God, but his heart was hard. There was a lack of compassion. He didn't particularly care that 120,000 people were about to die. But let me say to you this morning, God was concerned. Jonah may not have been concerned. Jonah may have wished that they were destroyed. But God is deeply concerned. He's deeply concerned for people who are rebellious and wicked and ungodly and ruthless. In today's terms, that translates into what is going, God being concerned for, for what is going to happen to people who are ungodly, for child molesters, Satanists, atheists, drug addicts, corrupt politicians, people like that. God is concerned about what is going to happen to them. And that's why he sends Jonah to Nineveh in the first place. Because he wants that city to know what is going to happen. And in verse 4 of chapter 3, Jonah starts into the city and he proclaims 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Do you remember the, the way that Jesus responds to the city of Jerusalem? Because Jesus knows and understands there is devastation coming to the city of Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 19, and, in, and, and, and history tells us, and the Jewish historians tell us, in AD 70, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. The record tells us, and I was researching this, that about 1.1 million civilians were killed when Rome was destroyed. And listen to Jesus as he approaches Jerusalem in Luke 19. And he saw the city and Jesus wept over the city. There was a sense of what he knew was going to happen to the city. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes and the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you. And they will encircle you and hem you in on every side. And they will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming for you. Friends, God is concerned about what's happening to people in this world. And as the story unfolds, Jonah eventually obeys the Lord. He goes to Nineveh. But he's still very reluctant. He, he's doing what God told him to do, but his heart's not in it at all. In fact, he still doesn't care that the people in the city 
will be destroyed. Deep down, Jonah wants them to perish. And it's interesting that the only reason he hangs around afterwards is he's wanting to see whether the city will be destroyed or not. And in verse 5 of chapter 4, it says, Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, and he sat in its shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. May I say again, God does not want people like this to perish. He wants them to be saved. Even though you and I might feel differently, even when we look around us and we see the atrocities, we say, God, put them in prison, throw the key into the deepest ocean. God's concern is that people will be saved. Everyone, irrespective. When Peter wrote about the end times, he said, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has done from the beginning. And later on, he says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And I don't know about you, but I certainly have found for myself this is something I must never lose sight of. You see, like you, I can get overwhelmed sometimes. And like you, I can get angry sometimes with what I see happening around. Sometimes I can get quite frustrated. I remember some months back when, when we got news of, of a family member that had been just coldly and callously murdered. And I, I remember hearing that news and hearing what had happened and, and a deep anger began to rise up within me. But friends, again, may I say to you, that's not what God is like. God is compassion. He cares what's going to happen to people in the city of Cape Town. And so I come to the Lord regularly and I say, Lord, keep pouring out your love in my heart. Otherwise, I'm going to get hard. Keep softening my heart. Help me to rise above it when I've had enough, when people let you down, when I've invested, let me down, when I've invested in somebody's life and it doesn't go well. I say, God, will you keep softening my heart? What's interesting over here is that although Jonah is still reluctant, something quite unusual happens. Jonah goes, he begins to preach, and the whole city begins to repent. I guess the closest parallel I could draw for you is that the people living in Nineveh were very much like ISIS today. Some of the atrocities that we hear about are some of the things that they would do when they would attack different nations. And this whole city of rebellious, evil people start to repent, every single one of them. The Bible says on the first day, Jonah started into the city and he proclaimed 40 more days and then it will be overturned. And the Ninevites, hardcore rebellious people, believed God. They declared a fast, all of them, from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. 
When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from the throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth. And he sat down in the dust. And then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone urgently call on the Lord. Let them give up the evil ways and their violence. I don't know if you've ever read of strange things like this happening. I remember reading about the Hebrides revival when God again began to move in an unusual way in the Hebrides. And people were walking down the street. They were not sitting in a nice meeting like we are this morning. People were walking down the street and they would come out in a conviction of their sin and just repent on the street and cry out to God and turn to God. 70% of the people who became Christ followers in the Hebrides revival were not in a church service when that happened. Young people who were parting, had no interest in God, suddenly started coming to church. They wanted to worship God. They wanted to listen to God's word. They wanted to be together in a place like we are today. And you can't explain things like that. You can't explain how God works. You can't explain what's happening when the Spirit moves. You can't explain it when people repent and church meetings are full. In my own time, I've seen this happen. I remember when I was living up in Gauteng, there was a little Baptist church. And they became deeply concerned that as a church, they were making almost zero impact on the city at that particular point in time. And so they began to pray and they began to call on the Lord and they began to restructure and reorganize what they were doing. And I watched over 10 years as that church, God began to do something that was inexplicable. People started coming to faith. People started coming into that church. Things began to change. They moved premises three times to accommodate the number of people who were turning to the Lord. How do you figure out in Acts chapter 2 when Peter is preaching to a massive group of people who've been drawn by, by what's been happening at this Pentecost event? And the Bible says that 3,000 people repent and get baptized. And the same thing is happening in Nineveh, except it's not 3,000, it's 120,000 people. Now the one thing that stands out like a sore thumb to me, I don't know if it does to you, in this story, is that God's still willing to use somebody like Jonah. He said, I mean, the obvious thing to me, if he's going to be disobedient, ask somebody else to go. Find somebody else who's willing. And it's amazing, God's still willing to send somebody like Jonah. And surely the point is this, God uses who he wants. You see, we've sometimes got it all worked out. These are the kind of people God's going to use. But may I say to you this morning, God chooses who He's going to use, and He will use who He's going to use at the end of the day. It doesn't, matter, doesn't mean that God's okay with disobedience, like Jonah was disobedient. What it does show me is how much God cares about what's going to happen to the Ninevites. This is not a story about a man who tried to run away from God. This is a story about a God who cares enough for a city of broken people to do something about it. 
we're coming to a communion later on in, in the meeting. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. By His wounds we are healed. Well, Paul put it very nicely in Romans where he said, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't this what Jesus is illustrating in the parable of the lost sheep and of the lost coin and of the lost son? The shepherd that goes after the lost sheep is Jesus. The woman who turns her house upside down for the coin is a picture of God. And the father who welcomes home his son is a picture of God. And isn't it true to say that to some degree, we're all a little bit like Jonah? Sometimes we feel disqualified. Sometimes we struggle to believe that God will even want to use people like us. And you know, sometimes that's the thing that's paralyzing the church. People like you and me. And there is only one response. When the enemy comes, the Bible calls him the accuser of God's people. For day and night in the presence of God, we are being accused. We are being reminded of our failures. We're being reminded of our sin and we're being reminded of our past. And there comes a time when the church needs to stand up and say, if God can use a Jonah, then God can use me as well. I feel that too many people have been silenced because they've believed the lies of the accuser instead of what Jesus has done on the cross. There are too many people that are feeling, I'm a failure and I'm useless and God could never use anybody like me. The time has come for the church to stand up and make a declaration, we are the children of God and we are forgiven and we stand here in His forgiveness. Surely that's got to come to be. Because until we do that, we will continue to struggle with those nagging questions, those accusations that come our way, those things that accuse us. You're a failure and you're useless. God will never use you. That's a lie. I want to write, ask you right now. I feel this morning we, we need to make a declaration as a church. God doesn't use us because we're good enough. God uses us because He's good enough. I want to promise you one thing. This side of heaven, you're never going to be perfect and nor am I. But God's still going to use you. You know what I recognize? That the hope of a city like Cape Town lies in the fact that you and I start to say, God can and will use me. That's where it starts when we begin to deal with that. So I want to pray over us right now. I know I'm in the middle of a sermon. It doesn't matter. But I really feel that as a church, we need to actually take our stand this morning. So we stand on, on the cross. We stand on the basis of what Jesus has done. We stand on the basis that we are children of God. We stand on a new identity today. So if you want to, you know nobody's being forced to. I want to pray over us this morning. 
that we will be strong in the Lord, that we won't buy into the lies of the enemy. We're going to make a declaration this morning in the Spirit of who we are and where we stand in the Lord. And so if you like to stand, I'm going to pray. I want to remind you of um, those incredible words of Romans 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we want to say this morning, we reject the lies of the enemy. We reject the accusations of the enemy this morning. We take a stand against, Lord, the lies that are spoken about us over and over and over again. And Father, as your people, we draw a line in the sand today and we say, Lord, no more. For we recognize we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We are the children of God this morning. The old is gone and the new has come. We have been crucified with Christ and we no longer live. The life we live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. That's who we are, Lord, in you this morning. We want to pray that our lives will count. And Lord, we will never refrain from being obedient to you. Because we know who you choose to use, you will use. And Lord, we want it to be for your glory. And we want to see our city being changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, like Jonah, God doesn't leave things there because... He wants Jonah's heart for the city to change. Jonah had been obedient on the outside, but there was a reluctance on the inside. And so we begin to see how that happened, how Jonah's heart begins to change as God is involved and as God begins to challenge him. Because as we understand the way God is at work in his heart, so it helps us to understand how God is at work in our hearts as well. The first thing that happens is for Jonah is there's a growing awareness of the extent of God's grace to him. Remember that big fish was evidence of God's grace. You remember that the second chance that comes to him is evidence of God's grace. When God causes a vine to grow in the desert, it's evidence of God's grace. You see, what we need to see this morning as well, we are here only because of It's always about His grace. Always about His grace. And slowly but surely, Jonah's starting to get the message about God's grace. Secondly, his heart is exposed when things didn't go the way he wanted them to go. <laughs> That's always a very interesting one for me. So when God causes the vine to grow, Jonah's like super happy. When God sends the worm, Jonah's super unhappy. Do you notice that he even got angry about that? And I've discovered a very interesting thing. I don't know if you have, but I'm always happy when things are going well. And I start to discover a lot about what's going on in my heart when it's not. 
And God is wanting Jonah to come to, to terms with what's going on in his heart. I feel this is something so important for us here that God is, God's focus isn't just on us doing the right things, but God's focus is on us being the right kind of people. You see, people discover God's love and God's grace because we have discovered it, because it's evident in our lives. And so God is at work in Jonah's heart in the same way. And then thirdly, his value system is, is, is challenged and questioned when he gets angry with God. Basically, the, the Lord asks him this question, have you got any right to be angry? And he says, yeah, I do. Totally. It's just like us. We feel we've got the right to be angry. And in fact, the thing that Jonah's angry about, he's angry about the fact that God sent a worm that ate his vine up. And the problem is you need to understand Jonah was probably a bit, had a hairstyle a bit like me and he was sitting in the desert and he was feeling super uncomfortable. Up to then he'd had the vine that was giving him some shade and now he gets, he gets angry. And then God says this, You've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Because Jonah disapproves of God's care and concern for the city. I mean, isn't that true of us as well? Sometimes we can be more concerned about maybe our comforts and the things that are important to us. And maybe what's happening in a whole city around us. When change like this begins to happen, it is always a process. It is always a journey that we go on. And we begin to see things differently. We know that a change of heart has begun to happen when we see the plight of other people differently. For me that happened when, gee, I think it was maybe more than a year ago now. I read one of the, one of the families from our church came to me and and said, John, we, we've got nowhere to stay. We've been given notice in our accommodation. Can you please help us to find other accommodation? And this family went to their life group and said, can you help us find other accommodation? And I think if my memory serves me correctly, for six months, we used every contact, John Weston included, we tried to find accommodation. And I began to realize, being involved in that situation, how much people struggle, and I didn't even have a clue. And through that whole journey, my heart began to change. And I realized that I didn't really have understanding. I didn't really know where people were coming from. Now, if you'd asked me before that, John, have you, are you concerned for people? I would have said to you, yes. If you ask me today, am I concerned for them? My yes is a different yes. Because something has changed inside of me. 
And I think you, some of you might have been at the uh, uh, last Sunday afternoon. We had a whole get-together to talk about being agents of change. And uh, the one thing we were talking about is how do, you, how do you get people's hearts to change? Let me tell you one of the greatest ways that I've learned. Just walk across the room to the other side and see how other people are living. It will change you in a heartbeat. And God over here with Jonah saying, I want your heart to be different. I want your heart to change, and I want you to see the plight of other people the way that I see it. Our hearts begin to change when we recognize sometimes that it's our own selfishness that stands in the way of what God wants to do. Friends, it was Jonah's selfishness and his self-centeredness that kept him from going to Nineveh. We begin to realize how much God cares for people who just don't deserve to receive his grace and mercy. And we start to appreciate the only reason we are here today is because of his grace to us. Let me read to you Paul's words as he reflects over his own life. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who's given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. You see, that's how it works. When we start to understand what God is doing in our lives, when we start to see the hand of God in our lives, and we recognize that God is at work there because He wants to bring about change in us, then we can embrace it. Sometimes we might even be saying to the Lord, take it away. And God's saying, no, I'm not, because I want to bring change to your heart. One of the beautiful things about what God is doing in our lives is that we are becoming like Jesus. It's always been his intention that I will be like Jesus, that you will be like Jesus. And you see this morning, we often like quick fixes. But God takes us through a process because it's in the process you discover and I discover what's going on in my heart and what's going on in your heart. It's through that very process. It's through the storms. It's through the fish. It's through all of those things. We begin to discover what our hearts are like. And we come face to face with us. It's through the process that we discover what God is like. And it's through the process we discover how much God has his hand on our lives. And may I say to you, sometimes the things that we have thought are just a coincidence 
is way more than that. It's God's hand on you. And it's God's hand on me. God cares about our city. And God cares about the people in the city. And some of them are ruthless and some of them are rough. We know that. But may I say to you, God cares about what's happening to people in the city. And here's the challenge for me. And here's the challenge for you. Do we care? Are our hearts broken for the city? Are we still able to weep for the city? Sometimes I can't. Sometimes I'm frustrated and angry. But I've learned that there is someone who can change my heart in an unbelievable way. And when I ask, when I say to the Lord, by your spirit, will you come and change my heart? I found that a miracle takes place. A miracle of God's transformation. Just this week I was praying about the very first time God ever changed my heart for people. It was one of the most unusual experiences and one of the most inexplicable experiences of my whole Christian life. And I said to the Lord, Lord, you need to do something for me. Because what I see in here is not a reflection of what I read about in the Bible. And prayed that little prayer, change my heart, God. Change my heart. He didn't zap me. But he changed me. And I found that my heart for people and my heart for what is happening around me changed because he changed me. Let's pray. You may want to say this morning, you may want to pray that prayer. Lord, continue to soften my heart. I'm just having a sense as I'm praying here this morning, there's, there's somebody here um, that's really tried to make a difference and they've They've really taken a hammering for that. Um, my sense is maybe they've even felt a bit abused because of that. They've put themselves on the line and, and uh, now they've been misrepresented. Um, yeah, and feeling quite a lot of heartache about that, maybe even frustrated or angry. The most important thing is 
if that's you this morning, just to bring that to the Lord. There's some things we can't deal with. We need to ask Him to deal with it. Because God has given to each one of us a sensitive heart. Sensitive, sensitive heart. And yet things happen that affect us deeply. That's you this morning. I pray for you. I pray for the ministry of the Spirit in your heart. And God will soften your heart again. God will bring healing where there's been a lot of hurt. The Lord will give you the capacity to go back again. To make those sacrifices that you do, the Lord will give you the grace for that. Maybe there's somebody here this morning, if you were really honest, you'd say, I actually don't care. But you want to respond to the Lord this morning and say, Lord, actually I do want to care. Will you change my heart?